<laughs> so uh, we're going to have your bow on in a minute when he joins us. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Last night he was in his office, like taking notes and going over things he wanted to talk about. I'm like, oh, this is really not that big of a deal. Like just <laughs> wing it. Like you should be spending time with me. No, <laughs> he knew he knew what he was signing up for. Yeah, straight straight away, straight away. So you're in the same house, but in different rooms. Yeah, we realized very quickly that we can't record in the same room because we'd be hearing your voice in the microphone. And my voice is like the voice of God. It would have been a little <laughs> too religious. for me (laughs) that's too funny okay this working can you hear me yes hello all right i can hear you i can't see you that's because i'm not setting up my my camera because i don't want to oh you're just gonna be a voice from oblivion i'm gonna i'm gonna be that creepy person who doesn't turn on their camera during the during the zoom meeting yes I can't, I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. I mean, oh, I know. <laughs> um, can you move your microphone a little bit further from your mouth, Andy? Just type yes, I can. How's this? Take it out of your mouth, Andy. It's not Hi. in my mouth. It's <laughs> next to my mouth. How's this? Now it's next to my eye. Oh, it's not a lollipop, okay? <laughs> That's better. That's better. <laughs> okay, okay. You would have heard a really big sigh if, if it had been uh, about three seconds sooner. <laughs> that's, that's all I hear all day. Just he- heavy sigh, heavy sigh. This is so exciting. We got Amy's man, Andy, on the podcast. Yes, he is property of of Amy. Correct? Amy Amy's <laughs> Amy's mountain man. <laughs> Beard and everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. How are you yes. feeling about being on the podcast? I listen. I am a a prolific podcast listener, and I've never done one before, so I'm really excited. Yay. Well, that's the energy we want brought to, brought to the podcast. So that's good. So we wanted to talk. Well, we're not just, I mean, we want to talk to you about anything, you know, like Amy's annoying habits and. Oh, God. Oh, God. Where do I start? <laughs> this is an ambush. Yeah. Yeah. The cold hands on the back. Listen, you said you missed the cold. So <laughs> I'm just trying to help. Uh, for those that don't know andy is from montana (laughs) he is montana he's not just from there he He brings it with him he brings the entire state with him wherever he goes (laughs) just the scent of huckleberry oh hold on doggies we've got got some nonsense here all right you 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 corral that nonsense over there shut your (laughs) mouth (laughs) (laughs) so we wanted to actually i mean other than amy's fun stuff about amy we wanted to talk to you about a a topic today that we thought our listeners would be interested in hearing about (laughs) quick while she's away while she's away from the mic tell me everything (laughs) (laughs) well right now i can see coming past my office door leo and then aries and then amy and they're mad at something (laughs) <laughs> they are they s- heard something or smelled they are mad all right and the thing is is leo can't see a whole lot but his sense of smell works really well so he's just darting back and forth 
bellowing at the top of his lungs. He knows something's up, but he doesn't know what. We have this uh, this version of Aries and Leo in our heads, and um, Aries is a 15-year-old libertarian stoner, um, and Leo is this, uh, he's, he's just an immortal, but he's so old that he's just gotten tired of everything, you know, and all of his stories involve, you know, one time in 1842. <laughs> um, I, I don't know where either of those came from. Sorry, guys, you're going to, I have to banish the dogs in the bedroom. They were just triggered for whatever Oh, they're reason. still mad. I can hear them. That's okay. All right. So we wanted to talk to you about uh, your expertise in this area because we do have listeners who are parents, who are educators, who care about children, who care about education. And there's really a lot to this topic. And so, I, I mean, yeah. we threw out some questions here, but I know there's going to be a lot on your mind. So I, I guess, you know, when you think about children and education, and, and I know that you've worked with special needs children, um, mm. can you tell us what that means, especially for people who may not have that direct experience with special needs children? Let's see. You, you could basically divide the, the disability bucket into, into two halves. On the one hand, you have special education. And that's kind of what we're all familiar with. And that's when you have generally a, a cognitive disability that impacts a child's ability to access the general curriculum. And so in that case, it could be autism. It could be you know, any number of things, any specific disability. Sometimes, uh, you know, just the number sense is very delayed. Phonics are very delayed. Emotional maturity are, is very delayed. And that can a lot of times qualify a child for special education services. And um, those services, they, they seek to kind of fill in the holes and bring the kiddo, you know, with, with additional support up to kind of the, the average area. And the goal is always to, to get the kid out of special ed. You want to put yourself out of a job. You want to get them out of special ed. It's a slow process, but it can be done. Not with every kid, but, you know, a lot of the time it can. And those, those interventions can take the, take the form of somebody going in to help the child in the classroom, the, cl the child, you know, leaving the classroom to, to get extra support outside. And there's, there's lots of different philosophies. There's lots of different um, approaches. Uh, to that. The other bucket is what we call it 504 qualifying. And 504, it's section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. Everybody says it's part of the Individuals with Disabilities Education for All Act, but they're wrong. Um, <laughs> I always thought that it was part of that. So it, I it, know it, that. Because, because they're, they're similar, it's really mm. easy to get those two. And, and, you know, it's an academic question anyway. Uh, what <laughs> I'm saying it's. Am it's, I a plebeian or something? I don't know what that word. Uh, no, I do. What that's know, right. I, that yeah, I Ooh. remember what that word means. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 504. It generally, but not always, it refers to uh, more health-related issues like mm. uh, cystic fibrosis or diabetes. It, it impacts your education, but not to the point of needing a replacement curriculum, but needing accommodations. Um, being in a wheelchair, you know, you would need a ramp. You would need something, something there, and that's. Those are two kind of different buckets. 504 is not generally part of uh, special education, but a lot of times the special education teachers are the ones who wind up kind of handling those accommodations. The thing is, there's an evolving question of how you refer to people 
with mm. disabilities. And for a long time, it was something called person first language, where you wouldn't say autism, you would say a person with autism, because that puts the person first. But in, in the last seven or eight years, that's been going away. And to use myself as an example, I'm diabetic, you know, I'm a type one diabetic. But because my diabetes is so linked, you know, I've, I, I got it when I was eight, and it's been linked, it's impacted my my sense of personality. It's impacted my relationship with food and time in a, in a very profound way. I would not be who I am if you stripped that away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I am not a person with diabetes. I am diabetic. And I know that's, that's kind of the, the way you want to lean into discussing people. I, I think that's, that's currently the vogue term with autism. What I would say is if at any point, if you're ever not sure how to speak to someone with a disability or what euphemisms are appropriate or aren't, ask. Just just go ahead and ask with the understanding that calling somebody retarded is absolutely never okay. Can you frame what that question might sound like? And I would say, uh, you know, it's like, how would you like me to refer to you? Do you do you feel you're autistic or do you feel you're a person with autism? How would you like to be referred to when I talk about you to my friends? in wonderful glowing terms, because I do like you. I love that because, you know, I think in many respects, people have been afraid to approach these kinds of conversations for fear of causing insult or saying something that's wrong, putting their foot in their mouth. But a lot of this inclusion work Mm -hmm. and equity work is really about bringing people into the conversation and having the conversation. Yes, it is. That's a great point. And it is, it is difficult to move the conversation forward if people are afraid of the basic terms. And so that is a, you know, that is a factor, a kind of in education of the general public sometimes and, uh, you know, other kids is that, hey, it's okay to make a mistake it's okay to refer to somebody in the wrong, tra- but once you know better, you got to do better, you know, don't, don't be a jerk about it, but, and, and keep referring to somebody in terms they don't like, but, you know, if you make a mistake, that's, that's acceptable. We're human beings. We can move past that. Well, Amy and I understand this, I think on a deep level in many ways, because this extends, I mean, beyond disabilities, it extends to cultural sensitivities. I mean, mm-hmm. I, my whole life have had people mispronouncing my name, they don't ask how to pronounce it, or even when I tell them how it's properly pronounced, continue to mispronounce it. I know it's been the same thing for Amy with her last name, and just yeah, it's people, a transferable. Make, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I think you're both very, very right on that one. Well, that's. I think it's such a helpful jumping off point for this conversation to talk about this. So you've been in the schools. You have been working with administrators, you've been working with parents and the kids themselves. So what are the, some of the things that, I don't want to say really bother you, but what are some of the things that need some adjustment there? Oh boy. Okay. Well, that's, that's a gargantuan question. So are you talking systemic uh, adjustment? Because we have, we have state, we have federal laws, we have state interpretations of those laws, and we have the individual practices of the districts. There are I think there are things that can be improved at, at all levels. One of the biggest ones, I think, is, and, and I, should, I should preface this, is that I typically do early childhood. I don't have direct experience with what I'm going to talk to talk about next. Excuse me, let me get a drink really quick. Do, 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 but do. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, my father was a school counselor, and uh, he was a high school counselor, and he had 
he and I had a lot of conversations about this, is that we are too slow, I think, to prepare kids to exit the system. Because you can have a phenomenal amount of help and aid and uh, assistance to navigate aspects of your daily life, but that's only applicable when you are plugged into the school system. And that has a time limit on it. And so we'll have we'll have high school kids who will graduate and they will be able to perform a bunch of academic skills that they may never use, but they can't make a cup of macaroni in the microwave. Mm. And so I think we've kind of gotten away from life skills, uh, life skills work in the last decade, you know, as we focus more on curricular things, but there, there are certain children, there are certain individuals for whom the general education curriculum may never be applicable. It may never help them to, to know calculus, to, uh, to be able to determine an author's purpose when, uh, when reading a poem. It would be more, um, we would get more bang for our buck by focusing on here is how you go grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Here is how you do a budget. And so that's, that's a, a broad scale answer. I think a lot of times we are, in our efforts to help, we can do too much because human beings learn through direct experience. And that is our primary way of obtaining and and retaining knowledge is direct experience. Now we have spoken language, we have written language, so we can learn through indirect experience and we're the only animals that can really do that. And that's, it's wonderful. It's, you know, what gave birth to the modern world, but we're, it's, it's also significantly less effective. What you experience will stay in your mind so much more than what you read. And it's, we sometimes in our efforts to smooth the path, I think we don't allow kids in special education to experience failure. And I think that's very important that they are allowed to experience failure. They're allowed to experience the consequences of behavior. Uh, I mean, you don't want to do ever do anything you can't come back from, but there are times where it's like, okay, you, you messed up and, and now we're going to deal with this and, and going forward, we can, we can work with that. And that's, that's less the, the typical disabilities. I did a lot of behavior work with a lot of kids who had really severe behaviors. And in a lot of cases, they were, they were very sheltered from the consequences of those behaviors right up until they weren't. And when they weren't, it was a big, big deal because at that point law was involved and you couldn't, you couldn't walk it back. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a rambling answer to your question. What's, what's just coming up for me as I'm listening to you is how applicable so much of what you're saying is to so many children and the importance of equi- equipping children with the ability <laughs> to try things, to fail, to access life skills. And so much of the education lessons you've taken away from working with what we would deem in society a much more fragile and delicate group of people uh-huh is really applicable to so many. And, and I've always said, I, you know, in a perfect world, uh, teachers like me wouldn't exist. Right. Um, we, would, we would generalize this out to the, the broader curriculum, the broader uh, culture of school and, and people like me wouldn't be there. But yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of bleed between special ed reforms and general education reforms. Can you shed more light on I guess where the process is broken between what that perfect world would look like. Mm. 
And what's happening now, like going back to things that happen on a federal level, on a state level, on a local level, oh. is it is it a top-down problem? Is it a bottom-up problem? I, I think it's an emergent problem. Um, it did... Uh, so when, when you become a special ed teacher, when I went through my special ed training, I thought what I was going to learn, because I started as a kindergarten teacher, and the kids in my class who I, you know, who I adored, and I spent the most time with were the ones who had undiagnosed autism or undiagnosed as, you know, and I thought when I became a special ed teacher that what I was going to learn was disability specific interventions. Here is what you do for dyslexia. Here is what you do for autism. And that's not, that's not at all what I learned. I received almost no training at all wow. in specialized instruction. It was all special ed law. It was all special wow. ed law. And so that's the shocking. Law, that's it, actually it really shocking. Me. There are, and, and the thing is, is it's not a, bad way to teach because ultimately you can't put kids in a box and there is a there is a push there's a real push in my experience at state and local levels less so at the federal level to put kids in boxes to have students if you are if you have autism regardless of where you are on the spectrum you are in this category and these are the things we use for you and it doesn't work that way you know, and actually, could we take a, a break really quick? I yeah. think my blood sugar is a little low. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry to do this. No, let me, let me just pause, test, and then grab some fruit snacks real quick. You're all good. You're okay. all good. I'll be right back. Okay. Now we can talk about Andy. Yeah. <laughs> we spent time talking about you. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Oh. This is very unprofessional. For shame. <laughs> okay, yeah. is, this, is this off mute now? <laughs> <laughs> we heard everything. No, I'm oh, good. no you didn't, because I had some very insightful things to say, but I turned out to be on mute. They're lost forever now. <laughs> <laughs> lost to the sands of time. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I just, I just love you too. That's, that's it. I just, I do. <laughs> It's a good thing I don't have a camera. It would just I want to smush your faces. It'd be like a red giant tomato face right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I think where we were picking up was about the ideal world. And I think one of the things that uh, would be important to convey here was about the children sort of being in the same classroom. Oh, inclusion. Now that's a good... Okay. So I guess I'll just I'll just ask the question... There's been a move toward inclusion in workplaces as well as in schools. What does that mean when we think about children with special needs? That is, boy, that's a fantastic question because that's a big, big topic. Yeah, inclusion, I, I want to come out and say I am, a, I am a massive, massive fan of inclusion. I think it's incredibly important, maybe not for academic purposes for everybody, but to be decent humans. I think I think one of the best things that schools can do is to expose you to people who aren't like you. And I think inclusion is very, very valuable in that sense. And from what I've seen, kids are unbelievably accepting. They 
they will typically ask you, why is that kid different? And if you give them a, a decent answer, it's, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Everybody needs different things. Let's go play a game together. They, they will jump on that. I have very, very rarely seen a lot of examples of, of bullying or any of that. You know, kids are, kids are good people. They just are. They're, they're, they're solid, solid people. And being around people who are not like you, people who have different needs than you, that, that results in more compassionate kids. It just does. You know, and I, I'm, I'm speaking anecdotally here, but from what I've seen, it's really, it's a win-win. That being said, there are times when if a child is very disruptive to the class environment, or if they lash out at other kids, most of the general population will be pretty accepting to that up until around about fourth grade. And fourth grade is kind of when the switch flips and they think, you know, okay, we've given you these, these five years and you're, you're derailing everything and you're not getting better. And then that's where the ostracization kind of comes in a little bit. So you want to, you want to get a handle on those, those behaviors before fourth grade generally. Inclusion Inclusion is a very solid thing. I, at one point, um, I was rearranging, rearranging a uh, first grade lunchroom because, you know, they were really loud and, you know, we, they were, they were just wild kids. It was a small lunchroom. We had to kind of, you know, rearrange some of the people and everything. And we had one boy who had some, some pretty high needs and he was nonverbal. And so I'm rearranging. And at one point, one little girl's mother came in and was brandishing the seating chart and, and pointed it out to me. And her, her daughter was sitting next to this boy. And she, she was very angry. And she said, you know, why does my daughter have to sit next to a boy who can't even talk? Mm. And I had to bite my tongue because my, my <laughs> knee-jerk response was, well, so she doesn't grow up to say things like that. Right. That's, that's yeah. why we want to expose your daughter to this. You know, ultimately things worked out there, but that's, that's one of the reasons I think inclusion is very important. I think it's so important to be exposed to people who are different than you. Now, that being said, inclusion is absolutely a double-edged sword because despite all its noble aspirations, the way it's being practically used in the real world is often to put kids with very high needs in settings where the adults are not properly trained to address those needs. By putting a kid with severe, severe behavioral or academic needs in with the general population, calling it inclusion and saying to the general ed teacher, you need to deal with this, that's a disservice to everybody. And so it comes back to, I I think the, the primary need of all special education is just incredible lack of resources, just Mm. incredible lack of resources. It's very hard to hire special ed teachers. Very, very few college, uh, college students are going into special education. It's very difficult. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough aids to a greater extent, even than the rest of the public school system. So that that's kind of my, my stance on inclusion. Wow. Such a good answer. I, you know, when, with what you were talking about with that experience in the lunchroom with the mother, with that, which I think is just such a compelling anecdote and a lesson in compassion, it just makes me think about the role of parents mm-hmm. in all of this. And for the parents that are struggling with behavioral health issues, even if they're sort of quote unquote undiagnosed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What are, what is some of the advice you would give to parents? 
Let me think. I would say that behavioral health issues and, and those sorts of things, and, and that's really kind of my specialty is I, I specialized in, in behavior kids. And, you know, the, so the, the kids I have the most experience with, they would be cognitively normal. They would just, you know, start fires in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love those little guys. I love those guys. Um, he, by the way, I just need to, I need to share this. <laughs> Every time he tells me some horrifying story of some kid that he taught, like my, I, there's a look of complete horror on my face after whatever he's just shared. And immediately afterward, he'll say, I love that kid. That kid was awesome. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"What?" laughs> I have a lot of good stories about these kids, but they all involve swear words. And I know I can't tell them, <laughs> this stuff, but oh, God, you get the best stories out of those kids. They are just great. They are just the best. See, now I'm thinking about those guys. What was it? What was the actual question? Oh yeah. Behavioral health issues. That was it. Um, <laughs> this is my life, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get pizza today, babe? Um, this, this is what I would say. Uh, and I used to do a lot of one-on-one behavioral work with, with kids. And what I found was every single time I ran into a wall, if I took a step back, I would realize how my actions were conditioning and even rewarding this behavior. Kids, kids are like wonderful, noble gases, and they will expand to fill the container that they're given. And that's, it's kind of an uncomfortable answer to give to parents some days, but most behavior is conditioned and it's survival-based. So kids are doing this because it works for them. Even if it doesn't seem like it's working for them, they are getting some need met with these behaviors, whether that be a sensory input, whether that be attention from you, whether that be a break from an undesired task, something about this is working for them. And so in order to, to adjust that, there's, so, okay, how much time do we have? All right, you're getting the long version <laughs> with slides. Um, <laughs> There's this concept called PBIS, which is Positive Behavioral Intervention and Support. And it's a wonderful concept. And it refers to kind of the, the process of rewarding the behavior that you want to see and then ignoring the behavior that you don't want to see. And it's a very effective way of, it's a very effective form of behavior modification. But the way it's typically taught drives me nuts because it, it stops halfway. In order to adjust behavior, you have to have two components. You have to have a replacement behavior, and that's easy. It's easy to, re- to teach a replacement behavior. Easiest thing in the world. Hey, instead of hitting me to get my attention, how about you say, hey, Mr. Burrell, please, I'd like, I'd like to you know, hang out and shoot some, shoot some basketballs. That's great. We can do that. But the second half is you have to make the old behavior no longer work, and that's difficult. Uh, because you've got some really incredibly well-worn neural pathways that are at, that are working against you, and that's <clears throat> that's the part of the discussion that typically gets left out. I've only seen addressed once in 15 years of doing special ed. I've only wow. seen a um, you know a staff training address this aspect of it a single time, and it is the most important, most difficult aspect. You've got to make the old behavior not work. And that is so hard, especially when the purpose of the old behavior is to get attention. So it's so important to moderate your own response to behaviors. Sometimes, you know, when we are trying to get a kid to stop spitting, 
it is very difficult because you know you you might have to make the commitment to just sit there and let them spit on you and not get a rise out of you for two weeks it is incredibly difficult but it can be done for parents who are que- who are, are dealing with this i would recommend a particular book and it's called don't shoot the dog by karen pryor and it is the the absolute best book on behavioral modification that i've ever read and i've read a lot of them i used to loan it out to parents but i wound up buying i think nine or ten copies of wow. it <laughs> I, I would just never get it back um, <laughs> but the 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 core you know the core question is like how do you keep the dog off the sofa Oh, well, it's easy. You shoot the dog. Now the dog's not on the sofa. Mm-hmm. So how do you teach the dog not to do that without the use of firearms and all that? Uh, but it's a very, very good book. Any, uh, I, I would the recommend flip-flop. it. flip-flop. Any- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the Indian solution. <laughs> okay. there's, a, there's always an Indian solution. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's, yeah. He's learning. Oh, He's I am. learning. I've gotten really good at dodging he's, he's getting He's getting a cultural education. It's, it's like Neo in the Matrix, but it's just sandals. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is amazing. I could listen to you all day. I, I really just feel like you need to do a TED Talk. Like that's just what I'm feeling. I'm feeling like this total TED Talk. And I think this is like your your early TED Talk moment. I, I always said I am very good at teaching, but I'm a terrible teacher. Expand well, on that a little. Expand on yeah. I have a lot of tricks. I have a lot of tricks. I have a lot of experience. If you give me a kid who doesn't understand a concept, I will get them to understand that concept. I can extinguish a behavior. But when it comes to to the the aspects of being a teacher that are, are more prevalent now, can, will I align this with content standards? Will I mm. write out solid lesson plans? Will I, you know, I... The administrative I, I organizational that. aspect. Uh, you know, and that's... That's the bureaucratic aspect. Oh boy! And you know, I I have my uh, I have my certification in administration, and I stepped away from that in a very very big way. I had a couple of experiences that were uh, really eye opening with administration, and I think we incentivize and reward administrators for exactly the wrong thing, and we actively teach them counterproductive ways to solve problems, and. You know, I think I think if we want to reform schools, I think reforming our administrative uh, education and expectations is probably the best place to start. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to bring up in this conversation? You know, on that last one, I would say improve school in general, but I think it does bear mentioning. Um, there, there's a backstory to it, though. After the 2008 uh, financial crash a bunch of schools were, were really needing to cut staff. And so California saw this massive, massive glut of unemployed teachers. There were a ton of unemployed teachers in California during that time. And what did they do? They came east. And so we had in Montana just a flood of very good, very experienced teachers coming in looking for jobs. And it was very hard to find a job as a new teacher. That was when I was starting out. Because, you know, the, the labor pool was just filled to the brim with choice, wonderful teachers. That is no longer the case. And that's no longer the case across the nation. You know, it's very, very hard to find qualified applicants for teachers. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot of our issues 
in schools are because we are still stuck in kind of the McDonald's model of employment, where if there is a problem with an employee, you can, impl- you can replace the employee. And that's, it's just not the case right now. It's, you have to invest in that employee. You have to, you have to teach them, you know, one, what the expectations are Two, you know, you have to examine, are these meetable expectations? Are these realistic? Is what I'm asking, uh, you know, accomplishable in the time I'm giving this person during the day. And I think schools are really kind of struggling with that. We are, we are making that, that jump from a place where the power was with the employer to where the power is with the employees because there's just not enough teachers. There's just not enough. And, uh, you know, we've got to, we've got to square that circle sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, and I think what you're talking about is really relevant, especially in the time of COVID Mm, where you have a lot of teachers who, you know, like, like you, right. Mm -hmm. Who, have health issues, you know, my, my, my mother, she was forced into early retirement, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, who can't go back to the, and I think when I think of really good teachers, I think of you, I think of my mom, who are now sort of in a different world. And the education system is now losing out on the, the, those opportunities of having truly good teachers who can work with the kids. And we don't really know what this is going to look like moving forward. We don't know what education is going to look like moving forward, right? For a long time, we've been kind of straddling the fence on what the purpose of American education is. Is it education or is it babysitification? And I think we answered that during COVID. I think we answered where our priorities are and we answered them loudly and for everyone to see and in a very public, uh, public way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom here. I know Amy lives with you and so she hears your wisdom every day, oh, but she's so sick of my wisdom. God, I, I can't hide from it. We're it's, stuck. There's just, you know, <laughs> she's absorbing it. There, next there's to you. just insightful comments all the time, like life changing, brilliant <laughs> nuggets. Help. Of wisdom Help. <laughs> it really is though. I feel like this conversation is just given it's given me a lot to think about. I think it gives a lot of people a lot to think about whether they work in education or they're a parent or they're a teacher. Um, I think there's so many people that will take so much from this conversation. So we really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank well, you. This was a blast. It was my first podcast. You did great. I, I got a say. whole page of notes written out, you know, <laughs> doodles. There's a drawing of Captain America here. So. You're so stupid. <laughs> which is Indian for I love you. Yeah, it is.